Amazing song. Amazing promise. Amazing truth. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. As we are endeavoring to put love in in practice. And we have just saying about the great love of our Lord and Savior. First, thir- First Corinthians, First Corinthians thirteen. We're going to begin verse four through seven. We will finish these verses today. Paul writes. He says, "Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag." It's not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it does not provoke, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. As we have seen over the past several weeks in these verses, these, these four verses here, 1 Corinthians 13 is not a poem, just a, it's not just a poetic love song, it, it's, it's not just a, a hymn, it is something far more than that, it is something that is very much tangible. It's, it's not a principle, it's not a theory, it is something that you feel and you can touch, you can, you can hear it, you can see it, you can experience it. And it is something that is not just done once or twice, but it is something that is to be done constant amongst the, the faith family. This is not written to the church and, and us and the, how we are to interact with the lost world. This is how you interact with one another, with me and I with you. And what we find is this is an essential ingredient it's an essential ingredient in being a faith family, being a local church. As one third grade science teacher had asked her class, and she says, someone, she says, could someone please describe to me salt? And the little boy with his hand held high, and he blurts out, he says, salt is what makes my mom's really bad food taste really good. <laughs> Somebody said, come on. I will pray for whoever just said that. But anyways, <laughs> salt is the key ingredient there that makes the bad food taste good. Many foods are like that. They are incomplete without key ingredients, and such is the case with the local church. The local church is incomplete without love. And so that, that is the case this morning. And so Paul writes to this church, and he he has spent 12 chapters dealing with all the problems that they have and all the things. And he says, you are lacking love. He says, these, these problems are stemming from a, church, from a people who do not love one another. And so this morning we will look here at the fourth application of love. These, these last really five descriptions of love in verse 6 and 7. Where Paul will show us that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth and righteousness. Where love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And so let us begin with the very first one here this morning. Love 
does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but in truth. So, so the word to rejoice is, is really, I hope, what was taking place with you as we were singing these songs. You were, you were singing these songs with gladness in your heart. You were, you were singing these songs approving of the words that you were singing, rejoicing in them. The, the, it means that you approve, you, 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 know, you give a hearty amen to. The word unrighteousness describes something that is not right with God. In simple terms, it is sin. That which is unrighteous is not right with God. And the way we describe that, the way the word describes that, it is sin. So so anything that is sinful in thought, in word, or in deed, it's not right. And so Paul is describing the act of being glad or approving of giving a hearty amen to sin, thought, word, deed. Now Isaiah, in his letter, in his book that he writes, he he tells, I believe chapter 5 it is, he says that the people would call evil good, and they would call light dark. I mean, darkness light, and they would call bitter sweet. In other words, they justified their sins. They, they approved their sins and they, they justified, they gave excuse for their sins. And so, FBC, what we find in this chapter, in this verse, which is something that we need to be reminded over and over again, in all honesty, I almost spent the entire sermon just on this one verse. Love never rejoices in sin. And I'll say it again. Love Never, ever, ever rejoices, approves, is happy with, or justifies sin. And notice that Paul says, does not. The the Greek means absolute negation. It means it's never going to happen. It cannot, if there's any approval of that which is unright with God, it is not love. So if you want to be loving, you can never approve of that which is sinful. If ever the American Christian church has ever been hoodwinked, ever been deceived, bamboozled, this is it. Because we were told by sinful, idolatrous, idolatrous, pagan society that if you don't agree with us and tolerate a few things and embrace a few things, you church people are just not loving. And we were pressured into agreeing with and embracing sin so that we could be loving. And we totally forgot the Word of God. Wow, the Word of God directs us. Amen? On what love is. And so we see this. We see this within the the LGBTQ community. We see this in many other things. We were hoodwinked by a culture. Now, before you go and begin to just amen, amen. Long before the culture deceived us, we deceived ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 5, you had a man who had an affair with his own mother-in-law. And there were those who were okay with it. You had people within the church who did not commit sin. They were eating meat offered to idols and they were being judged by pagan worship services. You know, they were being judged as being pagan worshipers. And so you see in the Corinthians that they were, they were uh, I'm sorry, they, they were 
eating the meat was not sinful, but they went too far with their liberties and they began to participate with pagan worship services and they were saying it was okay. But it happens even in here. Someone commits a sin, we justify it. We have unbiblical divorce. Well, we're just not happy anymore. I'm just not happy in my marriage and I need to be happy. And so we, the church, go, well, okay, God wants you to be happy. Brothers and sisters, that is rejoicing in unrighteousness. That is approving of unrighteousness. We, we, we do no church discipline. People, members of the church, never come to, they, they don't attend church. They just constantly forsake the assembling of the brethren. Well, they're really busy at work. That's approving of unrighteousness. Well, you don't know what my, my friend, my family member is going through. I mean, they, would, they really want to be here. Uh, I mean, I know they haven't been here in months or years, but they want to be here. And we approve of it and say, as though it's okay. Or when someone falls into sin, we're happy that they fell into sin because, you know, we kind of have some grudges against them. We're, we're happy that they got their just desserts. We take, or how about this one? We take pride in our pride. We take pride in, in how we speak to one another, how we are provoked, and we say what needs to be said. We can go on and on. FBC, none of this is love. It is not loving to rejoice in that which is sinful and, and unrighteous. And so Paul writes the opposite. He says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but love, he says, we, we rejoice in, in that which is righteous. We delight, we approve we defend that which is right with God, meaning that the love of neighbor flows out of our love from God. Brothers and sisters, you must not forget that the, great, the greatest commandment is not love thy neighbor. Figured may get amen on that one. We have forgotten that the greatest commandment is not love thy neighbor. The greatest commandment is to love thy God. And that flows, and then out of that flows the love of neighbor. And so therefore, we must embrace and hold on to the principle that true love for one another is not excusing sinful behavior and falsehood and false teaching and false beliefs. Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe. It was a proclamation of judgment. The judgment of God is going to fall upon them. So by rejoicing in unrighteousness, we risk judgment on all of us as a church. So when the church begins to okay and to approve of things that are wrong and sinful, we do not get to walk out of here and declare ourselves, we're a loving people. No, we get to walk out of here and declare ourselves, we are a people under judgment. Therefore, love is rejoicing, defending, approving, fighting for that which is right. It is love is accountability, brethren. It's accountability. It is holding one another accountable for their thoughts and their words and their deeds. Love is church discipline. That, that when one of, our, one of our brothers and sisters begins to sin, that we call them back and we, we bring them back into the fold. Truth. Truth is loving even if it's not politically correct i don't care what cnn says and don lemon 
and the governor of New York, brothers and sisters, they don't get to decide what love is. Love is truth, and we rejoice in truth. I don't rejoice in what the world says. Doing the right thing, even when it's hard, even when the church itself turns against you, is loving. Even when you stand alone and no one stands with you, if you stand for truth and righteousness, brothers and sisters, that is loving and this is a truth that we have forgotten and it is an area of which the church needs to repent that we forgot the word of God we forgot what true love is and never ever rejoices in unrighteousness but notice the next verse in verse 7 he now says that love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things And if you really begin to dig into this, it's very masterful how Paul put all of this together. It's not just flowing out of just hasty writing. He is thinking this through. And so if love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, then what happens when the people of God are unrighteous? Because we're going to be, we're going to sin. And so let's face it, it's going to happen. We will sin and we will struggle and we will stumble. And so Paul says, what happens when the church body does this? How do we interact with one another? Well, he gives us in verse 7, bear all things, believe all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And before we dive into this, let me make something very clear. Paul does the same thing he did in verses 1, 2, and 3. He uses exaggeration here for, the, for dramatic effect. So Paul says we are to bear all things, believe all things. Does Paul literally mean that there's never a time in which we need to do church discipline or there's never a time that we're not to to trust the the, the motives of someone, that we're not to have doubt? Absolutely not. What Paul is saying here in the all things is, is that the love between brothers and sisters in Christ is so strong that it's going to strive to go the distance. It's going to strive to go the distance and, and do all things. And so this is his way of trying to show us the greatness of love. So he's not being literal there with those words, all things. But notice first that Paul says to bear all things. And so the word bear means to cover, it means to protect. If you were ever to, to really put this into a saying that you and I know, it would be that saying of, I love you so much, I'll take a bullet for you. I will, I will, I love you so much, I will jump in the way of a bullet and take it for you. I will take the beating for you. It's placing your body, yourself, over the body of someone else, and you cover them to protect and to defend them. You become a shield so that the arrows of the attacker fall upon you and not the one that you love. And so Paul is saying to the local church, to the, to the faith family, that loving one another is that we are a protective shield for one another. Now, we just saw that in the previous verse, Paul says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. So he's, so, so he's not, you know, contradicting himself here, here saying, well, if they sin, we just overlook everything. That's not what he's saying. This cannot mean that we justify sin. Paul is now describing how Christians walk with one another when one of our own is striving to overcome sin. So there's an honesty here of knowing and a, a vulnerableness. We, we know that we're striving. We know that we have this sin that we're battling. 
And what Paul says is, is that we cover one another. We do not shoot our own. And too many times in the local church, there are those that we have basically done the very opposite of cover, and we have basically just said, we're going to put them out of our misery. We gossip. We use harsh criticism. We keep records of wrong. We lash out at them. We're not bearing with them and their sin. We're not working with them that they may overcome their sins. The Corinthians did this. Or they didn't do this. They criticized one another harshly. And we see this in the criticism of, of the Apostle Paul. They were very harsh with Paul. They didn't, they, they just, if they didn't like his preaching of, you know, in comparison to Apollos, you know, and then what you would find is they would criticize Paul and there were probably those in the church who wouldn't stand up against those who criticized Paul. They just allowed them to run their mouth and to say things that were unloving and ungodly. There were gossips within the church. There was people who were judgmental in the church. Again, you had those who went too far with the eating of the meat offered to idols and they did participate in pagan services. But you also had others who were just poor who had to go to these pagan services to buy the meat. And they wouldn't stay, but they had to buy the meat there. Well, if they did that, they were, they were just, people were saying, we just need to be done with you. You have no place here. Does this not sound familiar? Can this not be the local church? Can this not be the Baptist business meeting where we criticize one another harshly? Where we, where we go too far in our, in our words and what we say with one another? Is this not us when we gossip about one another and, and do as my wife tells our children to not share stories that are not yours? All of a sudden, we hear of a sin that someone committed. We hear of a problem that's going on in someone's life, and they're striving. And immediately, we just go and tell everybody. We go into the deacons' meetings. We go into whatever meetings and what. We come out, and we just let everybody know, so-and-so, look what they're doing. Is that really covering them and helping them? Or how about those who say, I have sinned, and I have no place. I I have no place with the people of God. And they totally forget the song, don't they? They totally forget the truth of of striving with Christ and they're going to make it to the end because of Christ in them. Our job is to bear with them and help them remember the truth of the word. That your sins have been forgiven. Do we not hold back second chances for people who have messed up in the church? And we do away with them? Brothers and sisters, this is not bearing all things. This is becoming a stumbling block to all people in the church. When you are unwilling to bear with your brothers and sisters and begin to help them and strive with them, you becoming a stumbling block. You become a stumbling block. This is what exactly Paul said in chapter 8, 10, 11, 12, and 13. We are a stumbling block and we, we tear down the unity of the church. Chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. We leave one another feeling that the other, the other list left feeling that they are unloved because their, their own church family is not walking with them through their problems and through their, their struggles. And so we think that there's no place. And sometimes maybe their feelings are justified because we back away and we're not intentional and engaged with them. May I suggest to you this morning that you and I are to bear all things with one another Prayer, not gossip. Discipling, not isolating. Encouragement, not harsh criticism. 
singing together and worshiping together, being together, walking together as we strive together to overcome sin. And so this is what Paul says, we are to walk and be a shield for one another in protecting one another. But now notice secondly, though, Paul says that love believes all things. Now you begin to see this descent where love is the, where we are to bear with and we are to be a shield. Now Paul says, well, maybe they're not always striving. Maybe they're stumbling. Maybe they stumble more than they stand at times. And so we're, we've been bearing with you and so we're, we're striving with you. But, and so the person says, I promise you I'm trying. Or maybe they go and do something and we immediately go, I know what their motive was. What Paul is saying here is, is that we are to trust one another. Love gives one another the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I'm trusting that you are striving. I trust that you have good emotions. I, I trust that you are still a believer and that we are together. I trust that your actions and, and the things that you've done, that, that, that though you are sorry that you did them, that, that you had no malice in your heart. You see... We should be familiar with the phrase, innocent until proven guilty. I, I think in America we've lost that. I, I, think in, I think in America that has been, you're, you're guilty until proven innocent. And, and really, the only person who can prove you innocent is me. How unloving is that? If you don't do fill in the blank, then you are an unloving person. Or you're an unfaithful person. You know what this is? This is very much being having the friends of Job as your own friends. Because, I mean, who wants those guys, right? Always believing the worst about you. Are you one of those type of friends? You believe the worst about everybody? You're always, you're always looking into their motives and you're always, you're always trying to figure out what's going on there. Looking at the worst and everybody believing the worst about people. And nowadays this is prevalent within our society that we are consumed with constant doubting and suspicion. Even with our faith family. That even if a man or woman does something good, we cannot believe that they did it even with the right intentions. You see it in politics all the time. But brothers and sisters, may you have forgotten we are not the White House or the government. We are the people of God. And we owe one another enough trust and enough respect with one another that we, that we do give one another that, that benefit. And so the Corinthians were a cynical and suspicious people. The poor people, you know, they, they, again, they bought the, the cheaper meat. And so the, 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 the rich people would not give them the benefit of the doubt. They're just a bunch of pagans. The poor did not trust the rich. The rich did not trust the poor. They question, they criticize those who practice church discipline. You're unloving. You're just being judgmental. And we see this today in our own churches. We attempt to just show any type of accountability with anyone. We try to call them back. We try to do, we bring it before the church. How, how dare you? We could never do church discipline. That's so unloving. You're just an unloving person. You, you want the worst in people, right? You, you just want to beat people down. And you, you're just a bigot. You want to hate people. And yet, really inside that person's heart is really just a love for God. How about this one? Your conscience on COVID 
leads you to act one way and another's conscience on COVID leads them to act and do another way and one says, well, you're just unloving. And the other says, well, you have no faith in God. Is that love believes all things? Making judgments on people's conscience? How about this one? The Bible says that women... That the office of pastor is for men only. Well, you're misogynistic and you hate women. How about this one? Social justice? This wokeism? is wrong. Well, you're a racist. It's nothing... It is unloving, brothers and sisters, when we, the people of God, cannot begin to trust one another's motives. And we question one another and we're cynical. And every time someone speaks or does, that we look at one another and we say, well, you have the wrong motive. May I suggest to you this morning, this is not how the church of God is supposed to act with one another. And sadly, we see it in the Southern Baptist Convention that every time anybody makes a move, immediately they're accused of, being, of, of committing some type of gross sin. And it's all because they have an agenda. We are not to be like this. Repent. We must repent if we cannot trust one another. I would call you to say to repent and trust one another to Take on the Spirit of God that listens and talks with one another before making judgments with one another to, to give one another the opportunity to speak and let them, let them share with you their struggles, let them share with you what they're going on and then be able to pray and to walk away trusting not only the person but trusting God that they are really trying or that this was really their motives. If it wasn't, it will come out in the end. This is giving one another opportunities to succeed even when they have fallen in the past or they have no experiences. This is disagreeing on subjects that are not sinful, that are not false beliefs, but disagreeing in those gray areas and walking away with one another, away from one another, unified in Christ, believing this. We may not agree on subject A, But I believe that you love God and you want to be faithful to God. And so I love you, brother. I love you, sister. That's what Paul's talking about here. But notice again the dissent. Because now he says love hopes all things and love endures all things. And so I'm going to combine these two together for the sake of time this morning. But but notice this hope. Maybe the individual is no longer just stumbling, but now maybe the individual has fallen into sin and is, and is embraced sin and living in sin, or, or maybe they've embraced a, a, a disagreements within the church, and now we have factions and people are leaving the church, whatever. You, 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 you just see that, that, that slowly it's, it's beginning to, to separate, the people are separating from one another. And so as we do life together, we're going, that we're going to see this in the church where there are going to be those in our church who are going to fall into sin and they're going to embrace sin and they're going to walk in sin And what does Paul say? Just let them go? Just give up on them? No, he says, we must hope all things. 
the church calls them to repent. The church calls them back. The church says, I wanna, we want to make this right. And they, they just continue in the path of unrighteousness. What does a loving faith family do? We never give up hoping, confidently waiting. We're waiting with confidence that my brother, that my sister is going to come back. We, we wait with confidence that, that though relationships may be strained, I wait with confidence knowing that we're going to be reconciled one day. I do not give up on them, but I am, wait, I am waiting on God to, to fix this and bring us together. This is what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, where Paul gives one of the hardest statements in this letter. He says, I have decided to deliver such a one, the man who was in the, having the affair, over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, yes, we're going to do church discipline. Yes, he is in unri- he's in sinful and unrighteousness, but we will not give up that his soul will be saved. He may not come back today, he may not come back tomorrow, but before Christ comes, we are hopefully waiting our brother's going to return. This is the prodigal son's father. He was waiting, he was looking. Where I know that one day my son is going to come running down that road and he's going to one day be brought back into my arms. We're hopeful that God will restore. But not only hopeful, notice what he says, love endures. I want to put these two together here. Love endures when a church member not only continues in their unrighteousness, they, 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 they may not, not only or do we not see them on Sunday mornings and we see them repenting, maybe they even turn on us. Maybe they even begin to persecute us. Maybe they begin to do things that we never thought they would ever do. And we experience pain and suffering because of our hope that they'll return. Our love for them has brought great, great, great turmoil to our life and great suffering. And so we throw up our arms, right? That's the loving thing to do. We, we just wipe our hands. We're done. No, no, no. Paul says, in other words, he says, you hold fast your position. It was a military term that the soldiers would hold fast the hill even if they all died. Even if only one was left standing, he would not be moved. He would hold fast. That we would not move from the love and the hope of repentance and restoration of one another, even if it causes pain, suffering, rejection, and hurt. But may I add this as well. Not only do we hold fast the hope, we also must hold fast the word, the position on the word of God. Because too many times we want to hold fast and it becomes painful and it becomes hard we want to call those who are in the LGBTQ community to repentance, but, but we get persecuted for doing such a thing. And so we're told that we're unloving. And so we say, okay, well, then we'll, we're going to move off this position. And Paul says, no. To move away from the position is actually the unloving move. The most loving move is to stand firm on the word of God and not be moved. Brothers and sisters, if the house is burning and your neighbor, your friend, your loved one is asleep, 
And so you go to run and kick the door in. But somebody says, no, 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 no. They're, they're going to be mad you woke them up. Stop that yelling. Stop that calling. Just, just, just no. Just, just go get a water hose and spray it down. No. We will not be moved. We will continue to call. We will continue to shout. We will continue. And I don't just mean with those out there, but I mean with those in here. Hold fast the position of the Word of God and hold fast our hope that one day they're going to repent and come back. The Corinthians were not hopeful people. They were not an enduring people. Many of them gave up on Paul. They gave up on each other, pursued lawsuits with one another and factions with one another with no hope of reconciliation. But are we ourselves any better? Brothers and sisters, do we love one another? With this type of love, do we love one another with this type of hope and this type of endurance with one another? Are there people in the church that you have given up on? At one point, this church was full of people. At one point, there were people in this church. You had to to go around and find a chair, right? And no longer, we no longer see those people. And what do we do? Do we just make excuses for their unrighteousness? Do we just continue to excuse and justify the fact that they do not come to church? By no means. But do we do the opposite and throw our hands up and say, it's their life. People that you no longer fellowship with because you or they have stopped waiting on them. Maybe the person has left the church. Maybe you've lost the relationship. Maybe your relationship is strained. Whatever the case may be. Beloved, if you have given up hope and you are not enduring for reconciliation and restoration, it is not loving. FBC, how can we, how can First Baptist Church of Jonesboro consider itself disciples of Christ when we have allowed hundreds, hundreds of people to walk away from this very local church, this very faith family, and we have done nothing to call them back into the fold. Because we gave up. Because we stopped bearing with and believing in and hoping and enduring Because we have finally excused and justified their sin. And so they're not here and we're okay with it. Let me implore you this morning. Are we to be evangelistic? Absolutely. But let me implore you this morning that our hearts are to burn as hot, as red For the restoration and the reconciliation of all the wayward sheep who have walked away from this church and all other churches as it does, as it burns for evangelizing the lost. We need to stop acting as though the most loving thing is just evangelizing the lost. When Paul says, it is loving to hope for and to endure with and to believe in and to cover, to bear with those within this very body in this very room today. To pray and to never give up. Even if they've given up, we have not given up on them. And our, our membership role has thousands, has over a thousand individuals 
who have probably have given up. But have you? Are you praying for them or have you thrown your hands up? Have you thrown in the towel? Have you, are you making the phone calls? Are you making the contacts? Are you investing in them? They are members. They are, they are sheep. Sunday school classes, are you visiting? Stop waiting on church, just visitation nights. Go and visit. Get your class and go and find those who are not attending your class. Those that you love. Those that you eat and fellowship with. Those that you do Bible study with. Go and get them. Even if it takes years. Even if it takes to the day that Christ comes back. Or how about this one? Do we give up on those who have locked themselves up over the issues of, that are going on in our day in COVID? No. No. Because we know that what is right is the worship of God. And we love them. And we struggle with them and we understand the struggle, but we never give up on them. And so in closing, brothers and sisters, let me share with you what I think this sounds like in my mind. I again turn you back to Matthew chapter 18, but this week I want to go to verse 12. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which, he, which, have, gone, which have not gone astray. And so it is the will of the Father who, who is in heaven that one of these little, that, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones perish. That not, it's not the will of the Father that they will not perish. Is this not the picture of what I have just preached to you this morning? A love that rejoices that does not rejoice in those who leave the fold, that does not approve of them leaving, who does not approve or, 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 or glad. We don't make excuses for their unrighteousness, a love that compels the shepherd to endure. Notice that Christ did not say, well, that little sheep deserved it. That little sheep is living his, his life. Let him do whatever he wants. He's got free will. He can do whatever he wants. A love that compelled him to not rejoice in his unrighteousness, but a love that compelled him, the shepherd, to endure hours and hours of hard, difficult searching for the lost sheep. A love that bore the sheep on his shoulders, who believed that the best place for that sheep was on his shoulders and with the fold, who, who endured and hoped to find the sheep this is a hymn that I found this week. It's an amazing hymn. Listen to this. It's the lost sheep. How many sheep are straying, lost from the Savior's fold. Upon the lonely mountain they shiver with cold. Within the tangled thickets where poison vines do creep. And over the rocky ledges wander the poor sheep. Oh, come, let us go. Let us find them in the paths of death they roam. At the close of the day, it will be, to be, to be sweet to say, I have brought some lost one home. Oh, who will go to find them? Who, for the Savior's sake, will search the tireless patient with patience? Through briar, through break, unheeding thirst or hunger, who still from this day to day will seek, as for a treasure, the sheep that go astray? 
How sweet to wound be at evening if you and I could say, Good shepherd, we've been seeking that sheep that went astray. Heart sore, faint with hunger, we heard them making a moan, and lo, we come at nightfall and we bear them safely home. Is that not what a church is about? Is that not what love really looks like? I will not let you go. I will not rejoice in your sin. I will bear with you in your sin. I will believe you. I will hope and I will endure in all things. And we together will be, but we'll make it home. Maybe this morning you're one of those sheep who have went astray and you need to repent this morning. Oh, brothers and sisters, we will gladly cover, we will gladly believe in that repentance this morning. We will gladly rejoice with you in your repentance this morning. Come and repent and be restored, not only to Christ, but restored to the faith family. And let us sing together and rejoice together. But maybe there is one who is here that has not, and we have given up. Then we must repent and go and find and bring them back to the fold. Why? Because if we, First Baptist Church, want to be called a loving church, we will not rejoice in sin. But we will bear with, and we will believe, and we will hope, and we will endure, just as Christ the Great Shepherd did all of those things to bring us home. So FBC, go and love thy neighbor. Go and love thy neighbor, even if they're not even here today. Let's pray.